Good morning, church. Welcome. Will you lift your hands and just pray with me this morning? God, we praise you. We lift up our songs of praise this morning. We lift up our hearts and our minds and everything in life to you right now, God, just laying it before you, lifting it to you, Jesus. We trust in you, God. We just declare your goodness, your mercy, that hope is found in you. We thank you for your love. And God, we thank you for this day. And we praise you, God, this morning. We thank you, God. Amen and amen. Let's praise this morning.
all the praise. You are worthy of our praise. We choose to say, blessed be your name. Um, just this morning before service started, I was thinking about one phrase in the bridge that we just sang. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. I was thinking about that, and that really hits home for me because um, this week, our small town experienced a lot of heartbreak. Um, Two precious, very precious people went to be with Jesus this week. And one of them was a student of mine, and... It is very heartbreaking, and honestly, this morning I woke up, and you know, when things like that happen, your flesh doesn't really feel like praising God. Your flesh doesn't really feel like singing or lifting up your hands or praising God, but my soul thirsts for God, and my soul hopes for God and cries out to God in this time, and He is our living hope. And we can hope in God and we can still say in the midst of grief and sorrow and heartache, blessed be your name. He is God over all. He is God over everything. And I was just thinking about right before service and I told Juliet this. I was like, you know, this thought just came to me. They are in heaven right now and they are praising Jesus and we are praising Jesus too. We're praising Jesus together. And that is just such an encouraging thought. And when Jesus comes back for us, we're going to be up there all together. And we're going to be praising God for all eternity. We are going to be praising the Lord. And so we might as well just practice right now this morning because we're going to be doing that forever and ever and ever. So Father, we praise you. We praise you, Jesus. We praise you, God. You are worthy of all our praise, Jesus. We thank you, God, that we are your children. You are our Father. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you that your presence is near. We love you, Lord.
This is the, the part of the service where we invite you to bring your offerings, your gifts for the Lord. Our expression of trust and belief in His Word. So if, if you're led to take part in that this morning, you may bring your offerings to the buckets, the green boxes, or give online. But let me just invite you to do that. Let me pray for the offering. Father, bless these offerings. Bless it to do the work of your ministry kingdom work here in central Oklahoma. Just bless it, bless the giver, bless the faith that they um, are expressing when they offer it. In Jesus' name, amen.
That's an act of faith just to sing that song and recognize who you are. I'm going to call attention to that, that um, portion of the song that Jen talked about just a few moments ago. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We're so influenced by the way a thing looks or, or something that we've heard from someone, like a doctor even, or, or we've heard it from our checkbook balance or something like that. We pay so much attention to the, uh, the feelings about things, the stuff we hear about ourselves. And I'm telling you, that's one of the reasons we need to get together in fellowship is to encourage each other and to recognize that singing a song like this, I'm a child of God. There's kids in here right now that because they have parents that take care of them, they don't worry about stuff. I mean, I'm looking at some of y'all. You don't have to worry about things because you've got a parent that takes care of you. Because you're a child of your parent, you don't have a worry. Man, if you're a child of God, you don't have to worry. God's taking care of you. And so when we sing a song, this is what living looks like. <laughs> While we're, when we're singing that song, I, get, I'm, I just almost want to jump and run around when we sing that song. Because it, this is what freedom feels like. Man, there's so many things that bind us up, that put chains on us. But we are free, free indeed. So as we sing that song, let make it your declaration. Make it your declaration to say, by golly, I'm a child of God. I don't have to worry. Let me pray for you. Father, May the reality of spiritual things dawn on us. May they become a reality that outweighs what anything looks or feels like. May the reality of what your word says about who we are overwhelm anything about else that we receive about who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all be seated. Um, in the... This is not going to... In the seats around you, there's, there's this page. And there's something on the back too. When uh, Pastor Jacob shares in just a moment, he is going to... Um, be referring to this. It's, it's called our leadership covenant. And I'm not going to go on talking about it very much, but I just want you to have it so you can follow along. All right. Um, I have two announcements. One, the ladies retreat in, in Durant, the uh, Victory Life Women's Warrior re- Conference. Retreat. There it is right there. The 23rd and 24th. Um, if you have not registered online do that so that they know who's coming and you can get your Saturday meal that way Um, Pam said it was good last year and so uh, avail yourself of that opportunity Um, the second thing is that 
um, the young people's group that meets every other Sunday night is not going to meet this week. Um, Logan is sick in this body and sick about not being able to meet too. Um, sorry guys. Uh, but, uh, he has been sick for a week with whatever's been going around that everybody else has been sick with in Jesus name. I am sick and tired of that. Sick and tired of people being sick. So no more in Jesus name. All right. I want you to take five minutes and come back in here and be ready because Jacob has an awesome word. I was talking to him about it on Friday and I'm really looking forward to it. This, the leadership covenant is something that we share in the start here program that we do every month or so. And, um, I always like to talk about it, but pastor Jacob is going to expound on it more completely. So be back for a good word. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Chapter 4. Before we get into the word, would you please help me welcome our Chandler campus and our outreach in Breckenridge, Texas? Thank you guys for joining us today. Excited about all that God is doing across our church in all of our campuses. Uh, if you don't know, our church is uh, one church that meets in many different places, and so this congregation uh, of people gathered in the name of Jesus is larger than just the people in the room. We are spread out uh, across many different cities and states, and uh, what the Lord's doing, we're just obsessed with Jesus and seeing lives transformed by him and seeing his kingdom advance wherever he plants us. Uh, and so, as he's planted us, so we've put a flag down for the kingdom of God and are seeing his territory expand on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're all about. We're in a series that entitled How to Change and uh, what it means for us to change and be transformed into Christ-likeness and um, what that means here uh, and what, what we take responsibility for as a church is to cultivate environments. Cultivate environments that make change possible, that, that bring transformation into your life. Um, you are responsible for your relationship with Jesus, but the church doesn't need to get in the way. <laughs> uh, and I, we don't ever want to be a church that gets in the way of people's transformation. We want to be a place and a people that facilitate transformation, that create environments. And there's at least three main environments, our worship and our connectivity with the Lord God, a gathering in the name of Jesus where we connect directly with God's presence and his presence brings transformation into our lives. But there's also other environments, our community environment, where we, where we work through and develop Christ-centered relationships, that it isn't just a direct encounter with the living God, there's also the living God that's on the inside of each and every one of us that we need to connect with as well, and that's a part of our growing and maturing. And then uh, what we'll cover next week about serving and what it means to our lives to be leveraged for the sake of others. That the transformation and change and maturity that happens in our life isn't just for us, but it's for the world around us. Well, I want to uh, go a little deeper into uh, uh, our, what it means for us as a church to be a family. And uh, one of the ways we say that is church is not an event you go to, it's a family to belong to. Um, we talked about belonging the last couple weeks. Um, but I want to I want to drill a little further down into this uh, in the kind of culture 
that's necessary in the family for those as those who are a part of the family to grow and mature. Um, and Ephesians chapter four begins to to kind of point in this direction. I'm not going to be able to teach line by line on this, but I want I want you to see a couple really important things when it comes to belonging to a church, and then specifically. Uh, the leadership of that church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I'm going to read to verse 14. And I'm reading in the New Living Translation. Uh, yes, we're jumping in sort of mid-thought. <laughs> That's just the way Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul who wrote this works. So you can read from the verses above, but we just got to jump in somewhere. Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. This is what we are responsible for, and this is why maturity matters so much, is because we, if, when we tolerate or coddle immaturity, we become vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy in a way that maturity creates safeguards from deception, from attacks of the enemy. Um, self-deception is extremely dangerous, and it's very self-evident because if you are deceived, you don't know it. <laughs> Self-deception, like you don't know it and, and you should never ever underestimate your capacity to be deceived. But you can start to safeguard against it. This is part of the reason why relationships matter so much is because groups of people can be deceived, but it's a little bit harder than just individuals. And as a church, we're called to become mature and mature in such a way that we're not vulnerable to lies so clever they sound like the truth. We're to become mature so that the pitfalls and, and troubles of the immature, there are mature people that can carry the immature through those challenges, through those temptations. The church must pursue maturity for the sake of the immature. And the immature need to pursue maturity for the sake of the lost. And this is what belonging to a church should facilitate in our lives, is a movement toward maturity. Church should not be a place where immaturity is coddled or condoned. It's a place for immature, it's a people for the immature to feel welcome, to feel a part, to belong, but also belonging in a family that's encouraging maturity, encouraging growth. Never, you do not grow through condemnation, so there's never, you're not to belong to a people who, who leverage condemnation to manipulate growth. That's wrong, it's ungodly, it's demonic as far as I'm concerned. As far as the scriptures are concerned, it's demonic. 
It's witchcraft to manipulate. And so to be in a family that leverages manipulation for your growth uh, is not healthy. Um, And so you do have to be conscious of the family you belong to and pay attention to what that family values and, and the ways in which that family grows and matures or the lack thereof. And so as a part of our church, this is what we take our responsibility as leaders very seriously is in these environments of maturity and growth, the necessary foundation of those environments involve leadership, and I don't mean paid staff, I mean those who are mature, the primary responsibility for leaders in the church, for the leadership of the church, is to cultivate and create environments that in those environments, God's people can be equipped and matured. And this is, one, this is a, very, it's a very important distinction that I think the American church has gotten way off, and I do see signs of recalibration, but um, a culture that offloads the responsibility of ministry onto paid staff positions. That's, that is not the New Testament model for the family of God. It's the responsibility of leadership um, is to equip God's people for his work. The church, the only work we're to be involved in is God's work. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the work we have to be in on, is God's work. Many times we, we sort of get off track of God's work and we start building our own kingdom and doing our own thing and advancing our own brand. And I mean just the American church in general, not spe- specifically speaking about us because we do everything we can to avoid that and I'll, I'll share that. But this is, this is a key fundamental understanding of the way the New Testament views the church, the body of Christ. The ministry is for all of us, not some of us. To be in the family of God means you have a ministry. And the role of leadership is to equip God's people for the work of the ministry. Now to make sure I'm clear here, um, those who are in leadership, I'll just take myself, my responsibility as a leader is to equip God's people for the work of the ministry. But I am also among God's people who has a ministry. And that ministry actually isn't what I'm doing now. This is me equipping the saints, God's people for the work of the ministry. My ministry begins when I get home and spend time with my children. They are my ministry. My friends saved and lost, that's ministry. And what I do as a leader is to equip God's people for ministry and then I need to be equipped for my ministry to my family and to my neighborhood and to my city that I belong in. So this is what our responsibility is, is to equip God's people for God's work, the work of the ministry, and to be mature. That's what we're all called to. So that's what we take very seriously, is that each of us have a responsibility to grow and mature. If you are still breathing, you can still mature. (laughs) 
I'll say it again for those in the back. (laughs) No one is so mature that you're perfectly mature. So if you are still alive, and as far as I know, everyone in this room is alive. As far as I know, everyone in our campuses is alive. As long as you're alive, you can still mature. You can still grow. You have not arrived. Because the standard that we are maturing to is the perfection of Jesus Christ. So we got a ways to go, all of us. Okay, so that's why the family that we belong to, this family, if, if this is not your home church, if you're looking for a home church, we would love to help you belong to a local church. If it's not here, we, do, we, don't, we don't think that we're the only good church around. There are other good churches. So we can help you find a family that God has called you to belong to. So if this is not your home church, um, we invite you to belong to a family, but you might just be visiting uh, and you might just be driving through visiting family. And so you do need a family to belong to, a church family to belong to. And we encourage that. I think it's a necessary and important part of your maturity. But I want to say a few things about what it means to belong to this church family. So it isn't to say that these are irrelevant for anybody else, but these are specifically important for if this is your home church. Um, Because, yes, the general principle is church is not an event you go to, it's a family to belong to. But I want to hone in on this family, if you belong to this family, what it means to belong to this family, and some things that, that if leadership is here to equip God's people for God's work, And to be matured, you need to know what we are committed to, what we're committed to on behalf of the family. Now, uh, one of the things you will hear said every once in a while here and there, um, if you go through Start Here, you'll hear us talk about it a little bit there. But uh, there is something that we have, over the course of the last few years, started to call our Leadership Covenant. And uh, I want to go through what that means and and what it stands for uh, and what we're committed to as leaders. Um, But uh, we've been committed to uh, cultivate covenant-level relationships with each other and everything good that you have experienced around here. Because with every family, with every church, you're going to experience some good and some not so good. Okay, because we are, as far as I know, all of us are still highly imperfect. As far as I know, no one's reached perfection. Um, so, so because of highly imperfect people, you're going to experience some good, some bad. What I believe is that for the vast majority of us, the good you've experienced outweighs the bad. Okay, all right. So whatever good you have experienced uh, as a part of this church, whatever good that you sense about who we are and what we believe and how we act, the, all the good that you have experienced, I believe, finds its origination or the root systems in our leadership covenant. And I mean that. Everything good you've experienced, if you trace where did this come from, you will find its origin at our leadership covenant. It is the bedrock, the foundation for any part of healthy culture around here. And culture has a significant role on 
the maturity that each and each and every one of us are are on the, that journey of maturity that we're all uh, journeying toward full maturity. When you think about it like this, in a family, if there's you know multiple children and two parent home, the 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 nature of the relationship between the husband and wife has a significant effect on the development and maturity of the children, whether the children know it or not. Okay? And so the things I'm about to say, I mean no condemnation for any of this. this is, these are things we all aspire to at a greater level. But when the marriage relationship is healthy and thriving and loving and joyful... The, the children of that home experience more in their maturity far beyond what they could ever explain. It's just something they sense, something they feel, not necessarily something they understand. But when the marriage relationship gets tense, it gets pressured, it gets uncomfortable, it gets unknown, it also has a negative effect on children far beyond what they can explain. They just sense it or feel it. There's things in every single church, you can just loosely put it under the canopy of culture, there's things inside a church family that those who are in the family will sense and feel even if they can't explain it or put their finger on it, good and bad. When there's negative things going on in the leadership and it's tense or fractured or if it's just getting, I don't know, you have that low-grade fever of something's going on. It's not obvious, but something's going on. Eventually, the, the people of the church are feeling that and sensing that. It's just the way spiritual leadership works. That we have to, we have to understand that, that we are more than physical or emotional beings. There is a reality of the spirit and there is a reality to spiritual leadership. And the primary way that gets expressed and understood is in the home. There's spiritual leadership in the home. And those who are under the leadership feel and sense things and it affects their growth and maturity um, whether they can explain it or not. There's a lot about the way love works and the way uh, attachment love gets sensed and the way our, our internal world is looking for belonging. We're looking to find a sense of self and identity in, in a group, in a people, in our children. The, the thing that they need the most is safety. A safe place for them to process who they are for them to start to understand who they are. We learn who we are through someone else before we ever make decisions about who we are inside ourselves. We're learning specifically from our parents who we are. And when that covenant, that marriage covenant, gets fractured or under pressure or tense or stressed, it has an effect spiritually and culturally on children's maturity and growth, their sense of safety and belonging far beyond what they could ever explain. Okay, have I laid enough groundwork there? Okay, so the same is true with the church family. 
when leadership, and that's, I know that's a broad, vague term, every church has different expressions, how they specifically define leadership. In our church, we have the senior eldership. There is a group of elders that are responsible for guiding and protecting this family. There's leadership teams that fall under that, and so there's specifics to that. So I'm, I am being general to leadership. Anyone that carries spiritual authority in this family, okay, is that spe- I, I can be that specific. Anybody that carries leadership authority, spiritual authority in this family, we agree to this leadership covenant. It's covenant relationship. In the same way we process marriage covenant, we are in covenant relationship with one another. And where this came from is um, our senior elders have led at the eldership level our church since its origin in the late 80s. So for 36, 37, next month will be 37 years, 37 years, the same eldership has, has led and protected this family. And uh, when our church was getting started and in its early stages, it was in an environment and a time and in a region where church splits were the norm. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced a church split, and it's different than just things got weird or things got uncomfortable or things got negative and you left. That's not good as well, but church splits are extremely damaging to, to people's spiritual life, their maturity into Christ-likeness. For many people, it is the end of their spiritual journey. It's the end of their commitment to any church. There's no trust any, anymore for spiritual authority ever. And that was the norm. And every minor disagreement that happened in leadership became a reason to split. And uh, our elders said, this has to stop. This has to stop with us. For the sake of our children and their growth and maturity, this has to stop. We're going to disagree, but there is a way to work through this in relationship and in covenant. And the elders lived what I'm going to explain to you for decades before it was written. Then there came along more and more leaders that are sensing it, feeling it, kind of understanding it, but when something is just sensed or felt, it's hard to replicate until you articulate it. And so over the course of time began a a need to articulate what this commitment we have to one another is. And when it comes to spiritual leadership in this church, this is the standard that we live to. It's also, everything I'm about to explain to you is also a standard that we follow imperfectly. But it is the standard we all aspire to mature to in our relationships with one another. And if you are going to grow and mature to the point of leadership in this church, you're going to eventually come up against this standard. And the question of whether or not you're ready to bear responsibility for the shepherding and leadership of people's spiritual lives will be whether or not how well we've lived this covenant. So what the Apostle Paul says to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says if one aspires to be an elder, that's a great aspiration. 
So aspiring to spiritual leadership is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, Aspiring to get your name out there, that might not be so good. So what we've committed to as the leadership of this church uh, is this leadership covenant that then establishes the kind of culture we're cultivating. And it can be summarized in three words. If you get nothing else, these three words are the most important, but I will go through each of these, what we specifically mean by this. And the reason why I'm explaining this is first to give you a sense of the family you belong to. I want you to not just feel the good or sense the good that you have experienced. I want you to understand where it comes from. Because when you can understand where that good comes from, you can then contribute to the good continuing to expand and be protected. Um, It also is a way that says if you want to grow and mature in leadership, these are going to be the specific areas of maturity that we all can grow in. And it's around these three words, these three ideas, these three spiritual principles. Honor, unity, and trust. If you remember nothing else, those three words, and for those who cannot remember words very well, acronym HUT, okay? (laughs) I was not a fan of someone saying HUT, but it is helpful in you remembering H-U-T, honor, unity, and trust, okay? So, everything good you've experienced here eventually finds its origin in one of these three things, and usually it's multiple of these three things. Now, let me define what we mean by these. Okay, first, honor. Um, we have, uh, if, if everything I'm about to say uh, evokes more curiosity, there's far more to this covenant, what I could articulate today, and in one setting, we have a couple different options for you. Um, namely, vl.church slash info. If you want the covenant to see the covenant in its entirety, you can go to vl.church slash info at the bottom of the page. It asks the question, are you looking for the Victory Life Church Leadership Covenant? Click here, and it'll give you a one-page PDF that, that we have available. In Chandler, we have a few printouts. If you'll see Pastor Steve, uh, he has some printouts of it. If websites make you uncomfortable. We have some printouts for you. You can request that at the information center. You can get uh, printouts of this that give this in far more detail and a lot more scriptural references. I'm giving you the high level version of this, okay? Because again, if this is the family you do belong to or you're unsure if you want to belong here, I just want to be clear about who we are what we aspire to, what we try to live out, and how we're trying to grow into Christ-likeness more and more and more. So honor. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, uh, is one of the primary ways we, we work this out. And this is what the New Living Translation says. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, I like the the English Standard Version. The second half of that says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. As far as I can tell, I can be corrected on this. As far as I can tell, there's only one advocacy in the New Testament for competition. Competition is not advocated for in any other way except here. 
where the one place competition is advocated for is how well we can outdo one another in showing honor. Now, honor itself is a big thing. It's a big, you can look through multiple scriptures and go super deep into this. But part of the ways we began to work this out so that we could understand how to do this with one another is we made certain specific commitments, very specific commitments on how we will live this particular value out. The value in and of itself is good, but it needs some specificity if you're going to live it out in day-to-day life, okay? And so there's seven, between these three values, honor, unity, and trust, there's seven commitments that we make. Seven is rather perfect, (laughs) complete. Uh, So two for honor, two for unity, and three for trust, because trust is a little bit extra hard to, to work through. Honor. Okay, so the first thing with honor, the first commitment, is we agree to submit to and not undermine God given, God appointed authority. The words of that are very specific. We agree to submit to and never undermine God given, God appointed authority. God appoints and God delegates authority. And authority is not delegated equally to everybody. Gifts, the gifts of God, God gives that indiscriminately. Anyone that's in Christ has received gifting from God. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, you didn't work for it. He just gave it. That's how he... But authority... And the responsibility that is carried by authority is delegated authority. God appoints it. God gives it. And the church is called to discern who has received what authority that God has given. This is not the same thing as positional authority um, or legal authority. This is God-appointed, God-given authority. And here's what's important about this. Honor is not a one-way street here. Many different cultures and families in an effort to live this value out make honor a one-way street. Those under authority must honor those over them in authority. And that's not the New Testament case. Honor is a two-way street. Now we have positions of authority And levels of authority. But what's important in each level and in every position is that we are looking and discerning what is the authority that God has given in someone's life despite their position on an organizational chart. So that means we are looking for the authority that God's given you And what you're ready for, and we will honor and not undermine that. Okay, so Dr. Pastor Terry here has God-given, God-appointed authority. Okay, I am the senior lead pastor. Organizationally speaking, I have a higher level of authority or responsibility that God has given me. And in many places, the expectation of honor would be on Pastor Terry 
to honor that authority in my life. But what that statement says that I'm committed to is that I will submit to and not undermine the God-given, God-appointed authority that's in Pastor Terry's life. I'm not going to undermine it. We're going to find a way to work together and I'm going to honor the authority that God's given him in his life and I'm not going to undermine it. And here's the deal about submission. Submission isn't submission until you disagree. It's agreement. If it's, so you don't submit to what you agree to, you agree with it. It's submission when you don't agree. And so we work through to the best of our abilities and to the best of our maturity levels to honor that in each other's life and not undermine, which there's many other things we'll talk, especially as we get to trust about undermining that, that we work out specifically, but we're not going to undermine God-given, God-appointed authority. We're, we're going to submit to it in each other. And that's what we're pursuing and looking for in each and every one of us. And so when we're looking at what has God, how has God grown people and who's ready for leadership, we're going to be looking for those who honor well. Those who know how to honor well, are who, that's who we're looking at to say, God's given them a measure of authority and we need to see that authority and make sure that the responsibility we give them aligns to that level of authority. Okay, I got to move a little quicker with a couple of these. The second thing. Under honor. We commit to further the kingdom of God and not build our own. So, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. We just, like, people pushing their own agenda and their own kingdom is just doing significant damage to the body of Christ and to the kingdom of God. And so we're just going to stay obsessed with Jesus and his kingdom. And we're going to do everything I can everything we can to push that agenda, that kingdom forward. And when, not if, when each of us are tempted to push our own advancement, our own agenda forward, we will then honor together what God has said and decide together, like you're not ready for more leadership if you're pushing yourself forward. Because we're not, we're not going to be building our own thing here. And that's why we also are a big advocate for the capital C church, not just this church. We're not trying to push this ministry or this quote unquote brand forward. We want the kingdom of God that's in righteousness, peace, and joy that's in the Holy Spirit. That's what we're after. Okay, unity. Um, You can look at Psalm 133. The big thing there. Verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And then he gives two different metaphors. And then verse 3, he says, for there, where there is unity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Life is experienced in a deeper level, God's kind of abundant life. And God's commanded blessing is on a group of people that lives out unity. And from the onset, I need to be able to distinguish, not, not fully, but just distinguish, unity is not conformity. Amen. Diversity is necessary for there to be unity, otherwise it's just conformity. Amen. And so when it comes to our differences, 
How are we going to work this out? How are we going to still honor and work this out in unity? A couple of the ways we explain this or describe this, the first one that's going to be the most important one is we will not participate in nor be a party to church splits. Our elders 30 plus years ago said, we are drawing the line in the sand and we're not crossing it. We're going to have to figure out how to work these things out together. We're not going to be quick to just divide and split and separate. We're going to work these things through. We're going to keep face-to-face relationships and work through the very, very, very uncomfortable conversations and disagreements. We're not going to let our comfort be a higher value than our unity. And so we're going to figure out how to work these things through. And one of the verses referenced there, Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three, says that we want to walk in the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The verses we read earlier in verse 12 and 13, that says until we come to the unity of the faith, we're not at fully the unity of the faith yet. So how do we get from here to the unity of the faith? Walking in the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to work things through together and we're going to advocate for peace because peace is a part of God's kingdom. And when we disagree, because we will and we do, we're going to work it through and talk it through. We're not going to just separate relationship because we just disagree now. We're not going to give up on this relationship because we see things differently. There's beauty in being able to work things out together, even though we have differences in that. The second thing um, this might be a little harder to, to explain and I don't have time to fully explain it but it's a commitment that basically we say we bind together relation, relationally in which divorce is no option. When you start exploring divorce as your plan B plan B will become plan A. So for us it's not on the table. It isn't to say that we're going to forever be in the same organization or forever be in the same positions that we're in. No, we're after God's kingdom and and relationships can come close for a season and then can become distant for a season, which is different than divorcing, separating, saying we're no longer in relationship ever again. And it's hard to work through. It's hard to work out. Which the verse we reference there in Mark chapter 10 verse 9 talks about divorce being an option because of our hard hearts. And that's what's key and important to us is our hearts. And this is where we get into trust. Um, keeping our hearts right with each other. In trust, we reference 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 12 and 13. talks about knowing those who labor among you. Develop closer relationships. Know those who are in relationship and who work among you. And then honor and work together in unity and in trusting relationships with, with them. Here's how we work these things out. The first one, we will remain open to correction from those who love us. That's very specific. It isn't just saying we remain open to correction. We do remain open to correction from those who we know love us. Because anytime you do anything, there's going to be plenty of people who are ready to critique you, criticize you, and correct you. And none of us are above correction. Please hear me on that. None of us are above correction. 
And that's when churches get way off, when leadership starts being above correction. All of us are open to correction. It just so happens that my parents are on the senior elder team, so they're not afraid at all to bring correction. But all the elders in my life, I have a respecting relationship with them, a trust relationship with them, that when they bring correction into my life, it hurts. I, I struggle with letting shame have too strong of a voice. But I need to be open to correction. And I need to repent and repair what I've done wrong. All of us are that way. And it's not just from people who are my overseers. Those who are among us, co-leaders that are among us. I need to be open to correction because I know they love me. And the same goes with them. So being open to correction and the humility that comes from that is, is very, very important. Oh man, I'm going to have to skip one. Let's get to the hardest one with no time left. Here's the last one. We commit to the five-day rule concerning offenses. The longer version of that, that none of us can remember the longer version, we remember the five-day rule, and here's what the five-day rule is. If I get offended at you for whatever reason, I got five days to come directly to you, not anybody else, come directly to you and work it through. If I wait longer than five days, taking offense for what you did is worse than whatever you did to me that I took offense about. Basically, we take offense very seriously because it hardens our heart, it poisons the relationship, and we're going to get offended at each other. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're going to say dumb things. We're going to do dumb things. Hopefully, it's out of innocence and ignorance. (laughs) If it's malicious, we have a separate problem that we need to deal with. But just being in relationship with one another causes numerous opportunities for offense. But we know how important our hearts towards each other is in preserving a healthy culture. So we're going to work it through. And we got five days. That way you don't sit on it. You don't let it stew. You don't tell yourself all sorts of stories. You got five days. And usually for most of us, it's less than that. It's like two or three. If, if, it, if, it, goes from, if it goes from a, a mild internal discomfort to something serious, like we need to act on it immediately because it's not worth, it's not worth holding on to this. And so when someone says, you know, when you said a month ago, this or that, I got really offended. Now I'm not to arrogantly just be like, I'm sorry, that's your problem. You broke the five day rule. (laughs) But whatever that is, we have to talk it through And that person is not absolved from guilt on this one. Uh, Yeah, okay, I can work through. I shouldn't have said it that way. Yes, in that meeting, I was in the flesh and I said something that was more out of an attitude than it was out of the spirit of God. You're right. I, I repent for that. But you holding on to that for a month is also poisonous for this culture. And that needs repentance as well. So... All of those, every single one of those points could necessitate numerous 
numerous hours of just explanation on the details of that, what it means, what it doesn't mean. What's important today that I just wanted you to hear is that this is what we in leadership aspire to, to be able to cultivate the kind of culture that makes equipping each and every person in this family and maturing every person in this family to a greater level of maturity. Again, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 4, the goal is that we become mature adults. The King James says a perfect man, but that we become mature in the Lord. And part of how we do that here is leadership works through this covenant with each other relationally. It's also, I'll end with this, it's also the covenant we make for you as a part of this church. We don't hold you to that standard. We hold ourselves to this standard for everyone. So you can guarantee if you do something that offends us in leaders, we will come to you in five days. If we do not, we have to work it out ourselves and we repent and we get our hearts right without you even maybe ever knowing it. That's our commitment to you as a body. We're committed to these things for the sake of this entire family because we're serious about this whole family maturing in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Chandler, Breckenridge, I'm going to release you to just steward what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in that service. I love you and I appreciate you. I pray you are blessed today. Amen. If you would hear in the room, would you just go ahead and stand with me and what our ministry... I remember when there were, when this list was 99 points. I mean, it wasn't really 99, but it was almost that many. And in a meeting, we broke down portions of that and, and said, well, you know, this kind of goes with that. And we, we started lumping things together and came down where it all fits on one single page. Um, and it, that kind of order has demonstrated itself many times over the 30 years that I've been involved with, um, with this organization. Uh, that breakdown of 99 into what, six or seven things. Um, that happened a few years before I came here to Chandler as pastor. And we were, Pam and I were down in Central Texas. That order has kept us from breaking apart over different kinds of things. That order has protected us from, from gossip and things like that. Because gossip comes out of something that you've hold on to for more than five days. And you start telling yourself those stories about what's going on. Um, church splits and uh, binding together where divorce is not an option. Uh, in, in today's language, cancellation, that's, that's kind of how I see that. Get, people get canceled. Groups get canceled. That we agree not to cancel each other for, for whatever reason. Pam and I used to drive through North Texas and there was a town where you came to a stoplight and um, the first Baptist church was right there on that corner. The second Baptist church was right there on this, at the same light, just on opposite corners. 
And it was because somebody decided, yeah, they decided divorce was an option. They decided a church split was an option. And one group canceled the other group out. And they literally, in, in some kind of kingdom kind of way, they, in, in that community, what did that mean? For one to be on one corner and one to be on the other corner. And you knew that they were together at some point. And literally, somebody took their corner, their toys and, and went across the street. We've had the privilege of being able to minister to people who came out of hurt and harm. And I'm just kind of hitting some high points here. I've seen honor in unusual ways being a part of this ministry because I've, I had been accustomed through the years of seeing honor offered up. You know, it goes up the chain. This was one of the first ministries, first church groups that I'd ever been a part of where honor went down too. Where the, where the guy in the top honors people who are lower in authority, lower in what most people would conceive of as honor. Honor up, down, and sideways. And that's, I mean, Jesus was that way. He paid honor to, in so many of his parables, to people who were not honored in the general society. That's one of the, when people who are hurt and and looking for relief, that's one of the things that draws them. That's one of the things that looks like love. So I pray that it, in, in this week, I'm literally going to be praying for each one of you um, that you find a place where you respond to what, what this means for you in your life. How it affects your family, how it affects your, I mean, your, the, your family, the people that live under the same roof with you, how it affects your extended family relationships how it affects your how you operate at your job and but especially how it, it affects your connection with this group of believers here the, our church family i may be praying for you this week to see what your response is it's my hope that you say i want to be a part of that and that you'll get to experience what it means to be in a leadership where somebody's not micromanaging you and, or trying to make sure that you stay in your right position. Because that, that's not how it works. Your seat on the bus, that you can move around on it, you get to drive the bus sometimes. And if you're a, a leader in this group... Um, you'll find out what that's like. There's one uh, that we won't receive an accusation against one another, an elder, it used to say. And I've seen that be big problems before. And I want to tell you here that if you, that you can talk to Dale or Brent or Julia or, or Jeff, that you can go to those people and say, Steve did this and I I think y'all need to 
I'm telling you, there's a, there's a place where you can go and make an appropriate accusation. And it'll be followed up on. And an explanation can get made. I, I've actually experienced the freedom that that offers, that an accusation gets made and those, those people can help you find out what the answer to that is. All right? Um, if you want to be a part of this group and you don't feel like... I, I'll just tell you right now, if you've been here more than three times, you're already a part of this group. <laughs> um, but if you want to... If you want to formalize that, make that a formal thing, then start here is the place to start. Uh, We can explain a lot of things about how we operate and do things. Talk to me or talk to Pam or any of these other leaders that I've mentioned, Dale or Brent, um, because we can sign you up for that and we'll, we'll we'll have lunch one day after church and and go through that. Uh, if you have anything else that you want to know or have need of, speak to me. Um, if you have a prayer need, we, w- we believe in the body ministering to the body here at Victory Life. And so I want to make sure you're a part of that. We believe in the gifts operating still. And so sometimes we, we have a word that comes from, that's not from up here on the stage Some of y'all have heard that before. But we believe in the gifts that you have operating here. All right? You want to know more about that? You let me know. Let me pray for us now. Father, thank you for your word and the order that it does give us that we don't have to figure out how to make a wheel because you've already made it. You've revealed to us what a wheel is. You've revealed to us what what a body of believers is, what it means for um, a group to be assembled and put together in such a way that they can perform the function that you've called us to, designed us for. And that's to be the body of Christ, to be Jesus in our community. So, Father, as we submit ourselves to your word, especially in relation to that, being Jesus everywhere we go, I pray that you'll grow us into that very thing. I pray that being a part of this family, uh, that the, the, the needs for equipping to be able to do that, are met here. I pray for you to show us what our place is in the, in the scheme of how you're ministering the kingdom of God in this community. Show us what our part in that is. And as you reveal it to us, empower us by your spirit to be able to perform that in Jesus' name.